Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Wednesday, May 13. Well, just ahead, the Colonial Pipeline hackers aren't the only ones profiting on ransomware. We'll take a look at a Silicon Valley company trying to secure the nation's networks. Plus, we'll take a deep dive into the future of oil prices. And our guest explains why he thinks Virgin Galactic is a zero-gravity zero. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's era.com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, even Podbean. Yes, Podbean is a thing, and you can listen to the show there or any of those other places, but hit that subscribe button to catch every show. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Connect with us on our website at bizpod.net, and let us know what companies you want us to talk about. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to talk about the business stories behind some stocks on the move, and joining me, as always, producer extraordinaire Isaac Webster. Isaac, what are the most important stories in the world of business today? Corey, here are the top three stories in business today. Now, remember the panic about yesterday's stock sell-off. Well, today, Thursday, it was a case of buy the dip on Wall Street, stocks rising, ending that three-day tumble. We also got an upbeat report on the labor market. All in all, when you look at the one-year returns, the Dow was up 46%, the S&P up 45%, the NASDAQ has added 48% over the past 12 months. So maybe that panic was much ado about nothing, as is often the case. It's often the, the case. Daily sky is falling report. <laughs> Chicken little. Uh, the Colonial Pipeline said it expects to resume service in all of its markets today. Last weekend, cyber attack forced it to shut down and lead to regional gas shortages and higher prices that we've been talking about. And Bloomberg is now reporting the Biden administration temporarily eased a century-old U.S. shipping requirements so a single foreign tanker could transport gasoline and jet fuel to the East Coast. Now, a White House official tells Bloomberg that the exemption applied to one tanker, but other waiver requests are under consideration. The Jones Act, yeah, a fascinating 100-year-old law that prevented uh, non-U.S. flagged tankers from moving goods from one port to the next in the United States. Um, I had never heard about that until this year. Yeah, me neither. And a sign of the times, question mark, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that banks plan to issue credit cards to people with no credit scores. It's part of the government back initiative to extend credit to people who have traditionally lacked opportunities to borrow. Banking for the unbanked uh, it becomes more important as we become sort of more um, interconnected electronically, the inability to have banks and, and uh, bank accounts and credit cards for certain people, especially poor people, um, is, uh, is something that keeps people poor. And good of them to address that. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? I want to talk about Contango. Actually, I don't want to talk about the, the terms Contango and backwardization, uh, but specifically about a co company called 
Contango Oil and Gas. Contango, that trades under MCF. Shares fell over 1% Thursday, but they've gained 54% over the past 12 months. What's going on with Contango? Okay, so Contango Oil and Gas, a small oil and gas producer, one that I've followed, though, for many years, been through a lot of changes. And so the, the name is clever. The ticker MCF um, for you know is, is a is a oil and gas uh, phrase as well, so it's very clever. But so I apologize to all the oil and gas heads out there who know this by heart. But since the company Contango just announced first quarter earnings, I thought we'd talk about the notion of Contango. All right. So first, Contango Oil and Gas. It's an oil driller based in Fort Worth, as I mentioned. They're drilling onshore oil and gas wells in Texas and the Rockies, and some offshore wells in shallow water in the Gulf of Mexico. They had a solid quarter. An actual 25% increase in oil production, mainly because they've been buying up some properties and adding to their capacity. Uh, they lost money in the quarter, but just $4 million compared to $105 million loss a year ago. So it's a turnaround story, and the turnaround's working. So what about contango and backwardization? Right, backwardization. Okay, so yeah. this is what's interesting to me. Like a lot of oil companies, contango uses the futures market to lock in prices, and they like to do that when the price is high. Okay, that seems reasonable. Duh. Right. So, so where oil is today, it's called sixty-four dollars a barrel. But if the price to buy oil in the future, if the futures market is pegging the price at you know sixty-four now, but in the future seventy, it's called sixty-five in September and sixty-six in December and sixty-seven in March. You mean a prediction that oil prices will go up? Right. 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 So, so that'd be contango. That's what they call contango. Now, if the prediction mm. is the opposite, the price is going to go down 64 to 63 to 62 to 61. That's the opposite. It's called backwardization. And if you plot it out in a chart, when the curve goes up, it's contango. When it goes down, it's backwardization. So on the conference call this morning for Contango Oil and Gas, CEO William Colliers, uh, he said he sees the curve going down, in other words, backwardization, which means he's not going to be hedging as much. Given the shape of the curve, you know, if the shape of the curve were, were in contango right now, I'd tell you that we would, you know, be more aggressively hedging next year. Um, but, you know, right now, you know, given our leverage profile, we, we are, um, you know, we're comfortable with, with the hedge uh, book that we have right now. But that's subject to change. And again, you know, you know, uh, pretty dependent on the, on the shape of the curve, although we always want to have kind of a baseline. And I, I think we have, you know, minimum hedging requirements of about, you uh, uh, you know, 70% and 50% for 12 months and 24 months out. So, you know, you should always see us kind of around that, you know, that zip code in terms of a minimum. And then we try and, you know, flex that um, up opportunistically. So that's how we think about it. And, and that to me is interesting too, from the public market standpoint, right? So the company isn't hedged and prices jack up they not only is a company going to reach out to grab and lock those prices in, it also just creates opportunity for the company to be more profitable if things turn their way. So he sees backwardization, not contango. Right. Back, we all see backwardization, not contango. The future prices are going down uh, in, in the years out. And, and the example I used is about right, where the March price is about 61, even though today we're at about 64, um, uh, depending on which market you're looking at. Um, and so when that turns around, uh, that turns around real fast for the oil companies uh, with that prediction of economic activity and production uh, and so on going in the future if that price starts to go up. And, and you know, shout out to above Ken Peak, the founder of this company who died in 2013, was a friend. And um, he was absolutely my favorite guy in the oil company. He was just a huge character uh, and a blast. And, and he has missed whenever I listen to those contango calls. We're thinking about the late Ken Peak. 
Corey, what is your next drill down? Okay, so the company is called Haymonitix. Kid you not, Haymonitix. It's a Boston-based company that sells blood stuff. Haymonitix, he trades under H-A-E. Shares dropped 13% today, and they've lost 46% over the past 12 months. So what should we know about Haymonitix? Okay, so blood stuff, maybe that's not the technical term. I guess it's a hematology products is the technical term. They sell the machines used by hospitals for hematosis management, transfusions, blood and plasma centers, stuff like that. Um, it was a pretty good business once upon a time. They do about a billion dollars a year in sales. And the company used to grow at about a 5% clip year over year. But a few weeks ago, the company announced that CSL Plasma, which had been their largest customer, 27% of their business last year, their entire business is bailing on the plans to use a Hemonitix PCS2 plasma collection system and the disposables that come with it. When that contract expires in June 2022, uh, CSL Plasma and Hemonitix will not be doing that business together. They announced that a couple weeks ago. The stock just crashed. And then today, the company announced uh, that their revenues, without even losing that contract, were already down 14%. The earnings were down 33%. It's pretty much a disaster over there. Uh, and the conference call, you know, the analysts were completely uh, surprised by how bad the business had become. They're really unhappy about the loss of this giant customer uh, for the, the company. So the analysts are looking for any indication that the contracts they've still got are going to be there for a while, that the future business is dependable. And they were asking the CEO just for any kind of reassurance whatsoever. But the Haymonitic CEO, Chris Simon, would offer none. I want to stay, Larry, I want to stay away from specific conversations around customer contracts. It's, it's confidential and proprietary and candidly in a tightly um, contested market like this. It's just not helpful, right? So as a general course, we don't talk about individual customers. We're not going to talk about the details of those contracts. Not reassuring to the analyst community, not reassuring to investors. Um, the notion that the people who buy your stock want to know how the business works as being not helpful was not helpful to those investors, and they bailed. So, Corey, what's your next drill down? I want to look at FireEye. FireEye. FireEye trades under F-E-Y-E. Shares rose slightly today, and they've gained 78% in a year. So what's the new story with FireEye? Well, uh, I thought it'd be a good chance to look at this company. So it's a Silicon Valley cybersecurity company. Uh, they use hardware and software and armies of consultants uh, to help companies deal with computer hackers. And we're thinking about hackers, of course, because of the Colonial Pipeline, ransomware attack. Right. So ransomware takes the contents of your computer, all the files, the email, everything, uh, and it takes it hostage and demands Bitcoin as a, as, a, as a secret payment, as a, you got it, ransom. So there are reports uh, that the Colonial Pipeline Company, uh, which is private, um, paid $5 billion in Bitcoin to regain control of their system. I'm sorry, $5 million, excuse me, $5 million in Bitcoin to regain control of their system. Now, these ransomware attacks have become rampant, and the White House is now focused on them. Uh, interesting comments from Ann Neuberger, She's the Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Tech at the White House. As you know, ransomware affects broad sectors, and clearly criminals have learned that those sectors, one of the key sectors we saw during the COVID pandemic, was the hospital sector that was affected by ransomware. Clearly, we, know, we see that criminal actors have focused on the 
more um, vulnerable victims, state and local governments, schools, critical infrastructure. And that is why coming up and addressing ransomware with great vigor is a key priority of the administration because we're very concerned about the growth in ransomware and the impact it has both on small and medium businesses as well as the state and local governments in the United States and around the world. So, um, you know, the weakest uh, uh, IT networks in the world are getting targeted by these ransomware attacks. FireEye is exactly in a position um, to deal with that. And they're increasingly focused on ransomware, particularly at, at, at FireEye. They've seen 7% year-over-year growth. But when you look inside the results of FireEye, you see cloud subscriptions and managed services, which includes threat intelligence and cloud-based network services that deal with ransomware. That grew by 26% in the last quarter to $86 million and was about a third of their overall growth. So I think that across the computer security um, sector, you're going to see a lot more attention paid and a lot more money spent after the awareness that has come on about ransomware and this Colonial Pipeline hack attack. So FireEye, one to keep an eye on. You know, I knew you were going to try to make a pun out of that. That's good. No, that was really nice. That was a good pun. I don't know if that was was a bad pun. That was not No more puns. It was an easy pun to make. (laughs) All right. Well, up next, our guest, James Raste. He's going to take us uh, into space and talk about Virgin Galactic and tell us why he thinks that that company is a zero gravity zero. And that's putting it mildly. Wait for this interview. (laughs) The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Era's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes 40,000-plus investor events annually across 10,000-plus global equities. Learn more at era.com. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with the Business Podcast Network on LinkedIn. And sign up for our newsletter on our website, bizpod.net. Joining us now, James Raste of Coast Capital to talk about Virgin Galactic. Virgin Galactic, of course, is the recently listed 10-year-old business that brought to us by Richard Branson, listed through a SPAC vehicle, thanks to Chamath Palihapitiya. And uh, James, your thoughts about this business? <laughs> well, I, I, I think that this business is, is, is a donut. I think that the company is worth zero. Um, admittedly, the company has, at our last reckoning, and it's the 13th of May, 2021, $587.7 million a share on the balance sheet. Perhaps it's worth that much. Maybe some memorabilia. Um, <clears throat> maybe the equipment can be sold for something. But I really uh, think that they should seize operations immediately, return cash back to investors or to an environmental protection agency and call it a day. Um, Other than that, you like it. Jeez. So well, tell me, all right, so, so now you may or may not know this, but I've got a lot of experience as a short seller. I ran a big short only uh, portfolio for a hedge fund here in the Bay Area for a while. And um, uh, this company is so nascent. They literally have not launched their product, their product, which will actually launch. They have yet to take a single tourist into space. And yet that is the business we're asked to invest in. Talk to me about why you think that business isn't good. Well, first of all, uh, there are so many reasons, and we only have 15 minutes, Corey, although you told me maybe five. So I don't know that we have enough time. Depends to on how you do, James, really. You know, you pull <laughs> up in any second. 
I'm assuming you'll cut me off at five and that's okay. I can live with myself. Um, look, there are a number of serious concerns with a company like this. First of all, stepping back, um, one of the worst businesses in the world to invest in, we've all grown up learning, is the airline industry. It's very capital intensive. Um, it's quite cyclical. There are high operating costs. And if you have an accident, insurance costs can, can almost put you out of business. Imagine now operating an airline, which can take very few, very high profile people to a destination that most people don't want to go to for a cost of $300,000 to $500,000 a ticket. The whole trip lasts 90 minutes and your chances of an explosion are incomparably greater than they are with a regular airplane. It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. You get to feel weightless, you know, for maybe 10 minutes. I would say put yourself in an epidural and you feel a whole lot better for a whole lot longer um, <laughs> and, you know, save yourself $500,000. All right. So, okay. So they're selling tickets for two fifty, dollars not five hundred. dollars They're selling tickets for, they have sold, they're not. They're no longer selling tickets. Um, if I recall correctly, the company until 2009 had about 400 people who had signed up to take flight with them. By 2018, that number had increased dramatically to 600 and they closed the book. We're not taking any more, uh, 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 um, you know, applicants. Guess what? Maybe there are just only 600 people who are, shall we say, eccentric enough to want to spend $250,000 at that point to spend 10 minutes feeling weightless. Um, but uh, uh, there is, uh, uh, there really isn't a very large market for this. And the problem that we have is going forward, the company's talking about the ticket price being increased to three hundred to $500,000, which, you know, I, I can't imagine that leading to a much larger, you know, stampede to sign up. Uh, my research for this interview was a little different than usual. Usually, I'm I'm looking to be the skeptic and digging deep in the financial statements of the company. And I've done all that, but um, uh, I actually watched a lot of the um, uh, news appearances that Shamath uh, Palihapitiya, <laughs> whom I know and I like personally, um, did uh, regarding this. He referred to this as number one as de-risked which no one has ever said about space flight ever, and I think they probably – no one's even said that about airline uh, flights. Um, but he referred to it as de-rest, and he believed that this could get to a 70 percent operating margin at scale. Well, um, uh, you're setting me up here, Corey. I cannot have a response to that that um, would uh, that would be cohesive with the high esteem in which I hold Chamath, who happens to be a fellow Canadian. Um, I would <laughs> say that I uh, strongly and respectfully You disagree. think he's just polite and that's why I like him? I think he's done extraordinarily well, and he's not at all abashed about um, 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 uh, describing how well he's done, how great his investments have turned out to be so far. And I think that there is actually an extraordinary amount of uh, following that he has, which this company's benefited from. But I do think that he's very smart, which is probably why on March 5th of this year, he completely exited his investment in this quote-unquote de-risked company. Since then, the share price has declined quite dramatically, as you are aware. I think it's also notable that the CEO has also left. I mean, George Whitesides was CEO, uh, and, and since the listing, he's left the company entirely. I, you know, I, it's just it, the, the CEO has left. This is Mr. Brad, Rich, one of the greatest. Uh, look, who doesn't grow up thinking that Richard Branson is just the biggest rock star in the business, you know, universe? Richard Branson is out. Even the uh, uh, high priestess of the ridiculous, Kathy Woods, um, seems to have exited her investment earlier today. Um, the CEO was a really interesting one because he had spent 10 years getting the company to where it is today, which is every year they say we're going to be launching in two years from now. They were supposed to have launched two years ago. 2020 was supposed to be the year. Now we're looking at 2022. The CEO 
but the company last year really was adamant about um, Q, Q3, I think, of this year uh, being when the, the, the time of their first launch. And this CEO stepping off just a year before the company begins to offer its service, just before the moment that he spent 10 years getting to, makes no sense at all um, um, if he believes that the company's going to get there. And I suspect that he doesn't believe that. And I agree with him. So when the company, uh, when the SPAC was launched, or at least when the Virgin Galactic became publicly traded um, through the SPAC, uh, that CEO at the time, George Whiteside, said that uh, he thought the market was 2 million people, not just the 600 who've, who they've sold tickets to already, and yeah. that after they get through those 2 million people, they should have some economies of scale and be able to launch uh, to lower their prices and bring more people in. He, he made an estimate of 40 million people. I, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, clearly that number hasn't materialized. And if the company took those projections seriously, I don't think they would be closing their books to new um, applicants, right? And and the applicants, it took, um, I would just point, th- these are projections. I can project to you, Corey, that um, at the end of this week, I will have lost 35 pounds. Um, and uh, Claudia Schiffer is going to get a divorce and she and I are going to end up together. That would be my projection. <laughs> you might be very skeptical receiving that projection. Uh, the fact is that this company was at 400 um, uh, 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 would-be uh, um, astronauts or would-be space travelers in 2009. By 2018, at a price of $250,000 per ticket, as you said, we got to 600. So it took the company nine years to sign up 200 people. Uh, how, you know, and they're looking at increasing the pricing from 250 to 300 to $500,000 per ticket. Um, I, I just think that the facts suggest an extraordinarily different story. Um, so how do you start to do a financial analysis of a business that doesn't exist yet, really? I mean, because they haven't, you know, outside of the 600 reservations, they're, they're, they call their, quote, future astronaut count. Um, besides that, you know, how do you start to pencil out how this business could work? <clears throat> I think that the only way to really do a financial analysis is here. You can't rely on your analysts. You need to hire space cadets to put together a spreadsheet. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean- I, no, but really what you do is, is so we, uh, I, I will say this. I think that the investor relations team at the company is, 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 is great and very rigorous. And I think that they're um, very thoughtful in trying to depict the business case, but they refuse to give any guidance on number of users or revenue projections or what have you. We basically assume, you know, in, 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 a, in a thoughtful model that my uh, colleague Martin uh, put together for us, um, we're looking at the company generating $425 million in revenue per annum in 2024. That would be in line with some of the more optimistic forecasts of the number of flights that they're going to make every year and assuming that every flight is full of passengers. And that, by the way, none of those flights blows up. I really think that one of the greatest risks with this is that one of their flights blows up, you know. The last one on October 31st of 2014 did, and one of the pilots died, and the other one was very badly injured. You know, it's, I mean, I don't know how to say this politely. If an airline explodes somewhere and a whole bunch of people who you've never heard of die, and there's a large number of them, there's no way for you to feel affiliated with them, to feel affected by that, because you feel like these are very different people, different circumstances from yourself. The problem with the Virgin Galactic is given the price of its tickets, 
every user is likely to be some high-profile business executive or artist or or, or actor, someone who is um, um, who has a, a a following in their community and maybe globally. And so imagine a space a, a version galactic flight that explodes that has like you know three of the most important executives in the world and one artist like. First of all, imagine the lawsuit and imagine the foregone income of these people. And I know that they sign waivers and what have you, but it doesn't matter. People still, you know, accidents happen because something went awry. And when something goes awry that wasn't expected, that's ground for lawsuits. It's just, I think that we're one explosion away or another explosion away from this business being kaput. I think that that comes with a loss of life. And really, I'm trying to be humorous on this call, but I really do believe that the best thing this company do is give the remaining cash back to investors or better yet, give it to environmental protection agencies and call it a day. Because ultimately, this is very likely to never mind the fact that the economics don't work. If we assume, again, 425 million in 2024, we give them 31.5% margins, which is three times higher than the most profitable airline in the world, has consistently made over the past 10 years, that would be Ryanair, we still get to a valuation of 100 times earnings for this company, right? And At the the current trading valuation. Now, I should say that Branson has had some success with both Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Australia, and Virgin uh, Virgin America, which he sold at a handsome profit, which he promptly plow, plowed into this thing. Um, and, and I should say, like, I, I, I'm friendly with Richard Branson. I think he's a great guy. Um, and he isn't the guy who's been making all these financial projections, it seems. Um, but it, it, just, it does seem that there is some interest in this world of space. Uh, again, at 250K, I mean, you mentioned uh, uh, Claudia Schiffer. Rachel Hunter was on a Virgin America flight uh, sitting next to me as we watched the Virgin Galactic plane fly next to us on a promotional thing they did about 10 years ago. Um, so he clearly is, a, is aware that famous people um, are going to help promote this thing. If, if, it is a, if they are, in fact, able to do this safely, does that put a dent into your short thesis? Uh, if he is able to do it, I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm not assuming that there is an explosion. I think that if there is one, there have been a number of them so far. I think that that probably is a terminal event for this company. And who wants to be on a stock that has a very high likelihood of a terminal event happening? And who, by the way, you know, a stock in a company that you never know will earn a profit, whether it will or not. Or not. You don't even know, you know how many users the company can have. And you can't really reasonably project um, for the companies, you can't really reasonably project the earnings of the company. But when we do and we make the most optimistic assumptions that we can, we think that this stock is trading at 113 times 2024 earnings, assuming we do indeed launch next year, which again, every time the company's made a commitment to launch, it's delayed, it's delayed, it's delayed. Um, I think that even so if- So maybe the, not sell, I'll take, I'm, again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Maybe please. it's a good idea of them since they don't know the timeline, since they're trying to make sure they can- get everything safely done and that's taking longer than they may have initially guessed, that it's better that they don't sell more tickets right now and they make sure they can get this thing built safely. Well, I think that they should have. I, I, for us to invest in a company, we need to know that the experience can be provided safely to the customers of the company and that the company has a proven track record of making money providing that experience, neither of which is the case with this. You know, and never mind. Um, <clears throat> but there are many other concerns. I think that the environmental impact of these flights is catastrophic um, for 10 minutes of weightlessness. Again, please do look up epidurals, you know, if you really need to, uh, to have an. So I've done the weightlessness. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. There's a, thing, a company called Zero G, and I went up in these flights where they've they've hollowed out a 737, I think it is, and they uh, they they fill they sort of cover the floor and the walls with mats, and they take it out over the Gulf of Mexico and do these sort of series of 
of drops a little bit where they drop the tail behind the nose and drift down and you float up into the air and get to experience zero G. And Virgin is actually suggesting people train for their flights doing these zero G flights so you can get that experience. But I'm sure that the experience of looking down on the earth from, the, you know, from space is an amazing uh, uh, once-in-a-lifetime thing. You, th- you think the market is really that small that it's only hundreds of people? I think I think the, the question you're asking is really interesting, and I have my personal bias would lead me to answer yes, but that's my bias, and I could be entirely wrong. I think, you know, look, you could go to Hawaii and look at a plant you've never seen before and think that it's the mo- most wonderful thing you've ever seen. It's quite extraordinary. You could look at a beautiful waterfall and have exactly the same experience, and you could do that at a much lower cost with much lower impact on the environment from a degradation perspective. I would be very curious to know, though, how much you paid for your weightless experience, because if it it wasn't anywhere near $250,000 and it lasted more than 10 minutes, I suggest you got a much better bargain than the average, um, you know, uh, 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 Virgin Galactic client. Well, have. you know me, James, I'm a discount shopper. So yes, in fact, I paid about 2500 bucks for the Zero G flight. Um, and it was a lot less, but it wasn't as cool as looking out at the curvature of the earth, I think. Um, uh, you know, it is interesting. So Branson says regarding the environmental impact of this, um, that because they are launching essentially from the bottom of a plane, they fly a regular plane in the sky and then drop it off and shoot the rocket up, that the environmental impact of a flight uh, is the same as flying from London to New York and back, uh, that, it's, that unlike launching a rocket from the ground, it doesn't have the same kind of environmental impact. And, they're doing, and I think you know, in many of his other businesses, they bought offsets, carbon offsets, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're doing the same here. So that is a claim that they've made, and it's a very contentious one. Uh, From our perspective, it doesn't add up. If you look at the extraordinary amount of fuel that's needed to to shoot, you know, six people into space or maybe 10 people, if we look at the larger planes, the the maths and the the carbon footprint that Mr. Branson, whom I'm probably – one of the biggest fans of, if not the biggest, is is incorrect from our perspective. So, and and those are quite widely disputed at this point. But <clears throat> Corey, if we assume, look, it, it, there's so many ways that this this doesn't work. I mean, if ultimately, I'm quite wrong about space tourism, and people really do want to feel the experience, and maybe they even feel the like to feel the experience of being launched up in a rocket. Yeah, Blue Origin. You know, which uh, uh, I think is better funded given its backer, um, and, and which has had uh, greater success so that far. That backer being Jeff Bezos. There, there we go. I think that that uh, probably might be of greater interest to actual space travelers who want to feel like they're being launched into space in a rocket. And needless to say, SpaceX has recently announced that they're going to be competing with Virgin Galactic as well. And SpaceX has a lot more experience than any commercial, or indeed has more successful experiences than NASA launching rockets into space. So it's a competitive industry already with three players, the two other players being, I think, more credible and more interesting than Virgin Galactic. Um, And the whole thing just doesn't add up. Um, um, It doesn't add up numerically. It doesn't add up even conceptually. So you mentioned Shamath Palihapitiya, who was the backer of this thing, uh, sold all of his shares in this offering. March uh, 5th. Only shortly thereafter, in March 5th, that it, we found that out. Uh, you mentioned Richard Branson. He has not sold all of his shares. I just want to correct you on that. He sold $150 million of it, but I think he still has about 80% of his shares in the company still. Okay. Okay. Well, look, um, so we had different experiences with Richard Branson. One of the first IPOs that I looked at was in a company called Virgin Express. I think it was in 1998. Um, And that company went bankrupt within three years of coming public. Um, I don't think that um, Richard Branson's um, sort of space and airline travel ventures have always been successful. But 
you know, I, I, I really do think that given the valuation, given the balance of risk and given the continual delays and given the key backers are stepping away at this juncture, um, this story just does not um, feel like a credible investment candidate. And it does feel like a stock that probably is worth a lot less than where it trades just now. Uh, and as you point out, one of the big backers, Kathy Woods from her ARK Investments, um, there are some reports that she's sold some or all of her shares in this. That, I think that that just came out today. Look, to be very candid, we've had a negative view on on Virgin Galactic um, for a long time. The greatest constraint, the greatest problem I have with it is just the environmental impact of these things. You know, why fly into space? Can we not focus on cleaning up the planet that we have and keeping it quite beautiful and and and, and blue and green? Uh, and I really don't think that we're. I really don't think we're paying enough attention to that. And 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 ultimately. Um, you know, I don't know. I suppose that that's part of my bias. But the numbers do not add up in this company's case. And, and you're don't. absolutely right. And Richard, uh, Sir Richard would be the first to, to admit that some of his businesses have gone sneakers up uh, despite his best efforts, and he takes some big swings. Um, uh, this is probably the biggest, and, and I, would, I would say probably maybe next to the record industry, the coolest thing he's ever done. Yeah, I, I would. I would personally be much more interested in this like hot air balloon experiment where you go up into space and you look at the curvature of the Earth, but you have time to really absorb it and you have time to 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 really get a sense of your surroundings even as you go up. I think that with this, you know, you spend four to five days in New Mexico to train to go up, and you get a ninety minute flight of which one ninth is spent in weightlessness, which it sounds like you got for zero point five percent of the price for a whole lot longer. You know, in wherever it is that you were going up and down that padded, you know, airplane. That you you're, you're thinking I belong in a padded room. I don't know that. <laughs> I do not. I do not. But, but actually, the experience that you described sounds sounds a lot more fun than 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 this. Um, I, I do have to say that if you want to look at the curvature of the Earth, um, most Apple iPhones that you buy have a picture of the Earth, oh, and you can on. get a sense All of right. its curvature. And, and you really don't need to spend $500,000 and burn a whole bunch of dinosaur juice and fuel yourself, rocket yourself back into space to get a sense of the curvature. Just look at your iPhone once in a while, and you're, you're good. All right. Well, one of my favorite views, the view from Necker Island, you've probably ruined my chances of ever getting invited back. Thanks for nothing. James Raste from Coast Capital. We, we do appreciate your time and your uh, critical look at this company, Virgin Galactic. Thank you, Corey. All right, let's stick with Virgin Galactic for our drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. And we talked about 600 future astronauts as Virgin Galactic customers. How much have they deposited into the bank accounts of Virgin Galactic as they await those uh, trips into space. We'll have that number for you. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, the equity platform with event intelligence and insights for fundamental investors. Seamlessly connect to any earnings call and take advantage of ERA's AI-powered tools. Work faster and smarter at ERA.com. And please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn. I don't know what your favorite is, but you can find The Drill Down at your favorite podcast platform Hit subscribe, hit follow, whatever it is. Subscribe and make sure you see every show of The Drill Down. That's right. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at Drill Down Pod. Link up with us on LinkedIn and sign up for our newsletter on our website, bizpod.net. Okay, we're back with The Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. 600 future astronauts have deposited $80 million in hopes wow. of going to space. 
on Richard Branson's company. Now, I should mention another approximately 1,000 people uh, gave the company $1,000 for something that they called the One Small Step Deposit, those people from 66 countries. So 1,000 people have paid 1,000 bucks, but 80 people have paid about 250, uh, 250,000 each, uh, which is why they've got that uh, you know, not small amount of money um, uh, sitting and waiting for the chance to go to space. Me? No way in hell I'm going it, Isaac. None whatsoever. I mean, I don't I'm, like going on a tall ladder. I'm ready to go. I'm very excited to go. I actually disagree with James's assessment. I am so excited to fly into space, but I don't want to pay a million dollars to do it. There we have it. All right. Well, thanks for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. We always are trying to tell you the business stories behind stocks on the move. We will continue to do so tomorrow. Make sure you tune in then. Peace.